Flight 229, you're clear for takeoff. Just like a flight plan, you have to know where you're going and how you will get there when you plan for retirement. Let Ryan Fleming help you chart out a course for your retirement with his intimate knowledge of financial planning and the airline industry. It's time for the Pilot's Advisor. Hello and welcome once again to the Pilot's Advisor. Walter Storholt here alongside Ryan Fleming of Fleming Financial Group. Hey Ryan, what's going on with you this week, sir? Doing great, Walter. How are you doing? Oh, fantastic. You've been uh, gallivanting around the world again recently or been getting some time to relax at home? A little bit of both. I've, you know, done a trip over to uh, Stansted, England, and then been trying to spend as much time as I can here at home with my children while they're uh, out of school, even though the weather in Charleston is blistering hot, 95 degrees plus. Now, I, I uh, before we started talking, and I think this should be mentioned on the show, a shark was caught in the most recent fishing visit for uh, you and the kids? Yeah, decided we're going to have a father-son day and took the boy out to the ocean off a of pier and we were fishing. And he got to experience catching a shark for the first time and you know, got to feel the, you know, the skin of the shark and hold the shark. I mean, it wasn't a huge shark, but mm-hmm. of course he thought it was the coolest thing in the world. Yeah. To the point that this morning, the first thing he said was, I said, buddy, what do you want to do today? And he said, I'm going to go fishing. Nice. Very cool. Well, I know you guys are off of Charleston there. And of course, I grew up down on the uh, North Carolina coast fishing very similarly. And I always remember the first time I caught a shark from the surf kind of going, well, I didn't cast out very far. I, that's that's about where I swim. <laughs> Putting two and two together of this, even though it's a little shark, you're telling me this thing's swimming around my feet when I'm out there. So, oh yeah, they're yeah. out there. They're out there real close. And we we actually caught a, a really really big sea ray as well. And it's amazing to see how close they are with the size of the one we caught. I mean, oh, yeah. once we pulled it up and you know got it released, you know there's fifty to sixty people on the beach watching and they can't believe that we have a sea ray that close to the shore. Oh man, that's pretty cool. Yeah. We uh, did a quick week trip the other day and my aunt, uh, big fisherman, every time she comes down to the beach to visit, they're from New Jersey and she always, you know, just fishes all day long and she caught a big, a big ray and was able to, uh, or maybe it was a skate, I guess, and was able to bring it up on the beach and all the kids came running around and it was pretty cool stuff. So. Well, definitely. I think the most valuable part, you know, we've, you know, you might've fished a lot and you're over the course of your life, but to see a young kid, my son's seven, just to see his excitement with every little thing. I mean, the first bait fish he caught and then we use that and, you know, then he gets to catch a shark and just watching him, you know, basically bounce off all the, uh, the walls of this pier because he's so excited. <laughs> we'll have to share more fish stories in the future. I've got a couple of good ones that we can drop in from time to time. But let's not waste another moment and get into today's important financial conversation, Ryan. Speaking of sharks, that's kind of a relevant tie-in here. We're talking about the stock market and what really is the market. You know, it's kind of a term, Ryan, that just gets tossed out there a lot. Hey, what's happening in the market? How's the market doing? You know, you hear probably every day somebody mentioning it in some way, shape, or form. But what really is the market? Well, this is actually a great question. I don't know where you got this one, but it's actually very, very ideal to discuss right now because I've had to have this conversation with a few of my clients lately. In the U.S., the only portion of the market that anybody seems to know anything about because it's always in our face is the S&P 500, the Dow Jones, or the NASDAQ. And, you know, we'll just talk about the S&P. I don't know, you know, whether you watch the Dow or the S&P, but all the S&P 500 is, is U.S. large cap stocks. And on top of that, it's only 500 of, you know, some of the biggest. And most investors, 
think that that's the market and that's the market returns that they should be getting in their portfolio. So I think it's, you know, you kind of mentioned just to touch on one other little thing there. Don't know whether you follow the S&P or the Dow or the blah, blah, blah. I don't think a lot of people know the difference between even those. Well, and before I really have a conversation with someone, because I'll, I'll get questions like, hey, why is my portfolio not doing this? And, and I'll say, well, what is the Dow Jones Industrial Average? You know, and then there's normally a long silence. Or what is the S&P 500? And then there's a long silence. So it's kind of one of those things that, you know, you can't really talk about market returns unless you really know what we're actually discussing or what we're comparing. And I always talk about making sure you're comparing apples to apples and oranges to oranges because the S&P 500 is a small, small, small portion of the market that's out there. And if you want S&P 500 returns and invest all your money in the S&P 500, I think we've really not built a diversified portfolio. And a great time to talk about that would be right now because the S&P 500 has been doing great this year, but not so long ago at the very end of the fourth quarter of 2018, last year, the S&P 500 lost over 20%. So do you really want all your money in the S&P 500? Because you not only have to, you know, like right now, of course you would because it's doing so great, but think about the end of last year, you would have, you know, lost a fifth of your portfolio in less than a month and a half. So I feel like if we're going to talk about the market and the S&P and some of these other buzzwords out there, we've got to bring in diversification into the mix as well. Because I think when people think of diversification, it's in the same vein. We're thinking of just specifically the stock market or just being diversified in the S&P. I think I've heard it described before, Ryan, as, oh, we'll just get a, a mutual fund that mimics the S&P and you're diversified. I've heard people say something along those lines as well. So how do you kind of reconcile diversification in this conversation of what is the market? Well, in this, yeah, you talk about an investment philosophy and, and what you believe in. And in my opinion, is the S&P 500, if you own that, is it better than owning 10 or 12 stocks that you pick? Well, absolutely. But I believe in being truly globally diversified. And we're talking about a portfolio that has, you know, over 18,000 different positions and not just 500. As a matter of fact, with the way I educate my investors and what we believe in is the markets are efficient, but you have to own the whole market. And really, the S&P 500 only being U.S. large cap stocks, most of my aggressive portfolios have 8% or less of the S&P in them because historically that is not an asset class that has a high expected return. It's so interesting because now we're pulling in more buzzwords, right? And it's it's not our fault. The financial world's full of them. So asset classes, can you expand on on how that fits into this a little bit more? Yeah. You know, there's a bunch of different quote unquote asset classes. And what we're talking about is the difference between large stocks, small stocks, value stocks, growth stocks. And each of those, you even break down further between, you know, domestic and international. And I know we're getting a little bit into the weeds, but these are the things that, you know, when you build a portfolio, you need to really care about the uh, construction of that portfolio. And, and to, to come back up to a macro level, like, you know, let's simplify it as much as we can. When you look at the whole history of the stock market, there are certain ones of these asset classes that historically have a higher rate of return. And those are small stocks and value stocks. So I'm not saying that we don't want to own all of the S&P 500, but you want to have exposure to those other asset classes because they're going to give you a higher rate of return. So we're talking about this idea. What is 
the market, just to sort of have a reset here. Is it the S&P? Does that equal the market? I think the obvious answer from our conversation so far is, you know, certainly no. Diversification, how that fits into the equation. All of these things are kind of moving and shaking there, Ryan, and you as an advisor have to sort of develop your investment philosophy. You're kind of already doing that for us by talking about how the S&P isn't the end-all be-all of the market. So how does your investment philosophy get shaped given that knowledge? Well, I think the hardest part about it is with any investor, most of my clients, the only thing that's really in their face is U.S. large cap stocks. And that's you know supposed to give us an idea of what the market's tendencies are here in the U.S. So this is a conversation that we have you know, on occasion, especially when the uh, S&P 500 is actually doing better than most asset classes, having to explain that that is a small part of the market and you need to be more diversified than just that. Because if you ask a a client whether or not they should be diversified, I mean, most people are like, yeah, I I know that diversification is good. But it comes back to, you know, when you build a portfolio, you build it for the long term. And so having investment discipline is a huge, huge thing because there's something called track record investing. And what that basically means is an investor emotionally wants to go and buy or do whatever's doing well at the time. So like right now, US large cap stocks are doing well. So the average investor, if given his own means to do whatever he wants and not have a coach to kind of discipline him, they would go buy more US large cap stocks because it's been doing well. When from a statistical standpoint, it's not going to be doing very well next year or even going forward. As a matter of fact, it's normally less than 5% of those that they go and buy from a track record investing standpoint that still would be the leading asset asset class. So being disciplined all the time, regardless of what's short-term going on in the market, is something that you really, really have to do as an investor. And that's how you win long-term, is by not chasing what's in the market day-to-day, but holding on to why we built this portfolio, why we had the construction, and really understanding your investment philosophy for the long term. All right. So we live in a world of automation, Ryan. We live in a world of automated cars nowadays. It's going to become probably ubiquitous at some point in time here in the future. They're already starting to make a little bit of a presence. Automated factories. We've heard all the warnings about robots going to replace all the jobs of Americans over the next couple of decades. And it's going to be a major threat to the future of our of our country and to the world. What about to financial advisors? I know there's this thing called robo-advisors out there. If we live in a world of algorithms and, you know, sort of these uh, machines doing the work for us, will there be a need for you in the future to have an investment philosophy? Will people need that human financial advisor if a robot can just make all of the smart investment decisions and try and check all the different boxes? I actually believe a financial advisor is going to be more needed because there is so much information out there and so much stuff that that's going to allow an investor to make bad decisions that are going to hurt them over the long run. I mean, our ability to grasp onto information now, it's constantly in our face. And, you know, a big part, you know, of, of course, being a financial advisor, you need to know the numbers and know the market and know how to build a, you know, a cost effective, you know, low cost diversified portfolio and all that. But one of the bigger factors than any of that is investor behavior. And I, I really do study investor behavior because an investor doesn't want to hurt themselves, but they don't know what they don't know. And the natural inclination for people because of the way we're built is to make emotional decisions based off of what's going on in the news. And 
I spend most of my time trying to talk people off the ledge or get them to not do things that they feel like they need to do, knowing that it's going to hurt them in the long run. And so I actually think as time goes on, an advisor or an investment coach is going to be even more needed. And you, you talked about algorithms. I'd like to make a point on that as well. These algorithms, even though they can take a lot of numbers and, and bring a lot of things in, how many times have you seen an algorithm crush the market or destroy somebody's portfolio because something might have happened that it d- did not have built into that algorithm to understand? You know, we, nobody could have predicted the mortgage crisis. Well, guess what? You know, there's a lot of algorithms that, that really, really destroy people's lives because of that alone. Well, I think that's important, Ryan. How would you say when you meet with clients, whether it be, you know, over coffee at an airport, you know, in some location to be determined or in your offices in Charleston or even a remote visit with somebody to walk through their financial plan, how much of the conversation is about the numbers and about the investments and those buzzwords like asset class and, you know, mutual funds and whatever the case may be into those details and how much of it is over, you know, just the more general advice or more of the philosophical approaches of how do you feel about X, Y, and Z? Tell me about your family. What's the balance of the kind of the the nitty and gritty numbers versus just sort of the conversations that a computer is not going to have with somebody? Well, honestly, the numbers at some point are a very, very tiny part of the conversation. A lot of the conversation is talking about what's going on in that individual client's life right now, what changes might have been made, how they're feeling about things as they get closer to retirement, whether or not we can adjust their portfolio or their, you know, their risk tolerance asset allocation. As a matter of fact, I've had a lot of mentors in this industry that talk about, if you're actually talking about the numbers, you're already wrong. Because a lot of these advisors will have a client meeting where they're literally looking at the statement from the last quarter and going over the numbers of the last quarter. And we're kind of talking about spilt milk at that point. You know, we're talking about the past, which we could do nothing about. So if you're not focused on the future and where you're going, you're probably wrong. And so I think it's a great question. And the funny part is very little of it should be about the numbers. If you have a client that you've talked to up front and you've educated and you've shown them the numbers and the philosophy from an educational standpoint of why we do what we do and how it's based off of academic Nobel Prize winning research, then it's all about just staying disciplined. So it's literally talking about the emotions and you know the numbers support why we can't do the things that they may or may want, want to do at that point in time. So yeah, it's, it shouldn't be a lot about the numbers. If somebody wants to hear more of this kind of conversation, other than listening to additional podcasts of the Pilots Advisor, of course. What are some of the resources people can tap into or ways that they can learn or should they get in touch with you to have a conversation more in depth about their particular plan? What are some other things you can point people in the right direction to kind of grasp this conversation of what is the market? How can I be diversified? Why is it important to work with a financial advisor who, you know, is looking beyond the numbers? Well, I want, you know, prospects or clients to contact me because I think it's important to have a conversation where you can actually now, here we talk about being educated, like to bring the education in. And with the education does come the numbers, but the numbers and the education help you buy into a certain investment philosophy. So once you have that, a lot of it's just kind of reminding somebody about why we're making the decisions we're making to get buy into why we do what we do. And with most of my clients, you know, we agree on the front end of why we're going to do what we're going to do. 
But other than that, they might be reaching out to me to kind of be reminded or to see it again or to, you know, just get more buy-in to why we do what we do long-term. But no, I want, I want people to reach out to me, send me an email, give me a call, text me, and we can set up a time to go over things or talk about things. You can give a call or text to Ryan at 843-475-3038. That's 843-475-3038. Or the email is ryan at flemingfg.com. Ryan at FlemingFG.com. That's also the website, FlemingFG.com, where you can go and listen to past episodes of the show. If you want to subscribe on your favorite app, you can certainly search for the show, The Pilot's Advisor, on any app that you're using to listen to podcasts, or you can find subscribe links to the most popular services on FlemingFG.com as well. Ryan, this is helpful advice. Interesting to look at that. Uh, I never had really before today thought about that question, right? What is the market? What? How does that really define? I've always just assumed it was indeed the stock market, but there's more to it than that. And you uncovered that for us today. So very helpful. Appreciate it. Well, thanks, Walter. And I appreciate your question as always. And if anybody would like us to take a look at what they're doing in their portfolio and get a better idea of exactly what asset classes or how much of the market they're exposed to. We do something called a portfolio MRI where we actually dig in to all these things, all these numbers, and then explain it at a very basic level to a prospect or a client. And it's really, really something that uh, can open your eyes to what truly the market is and how much exposure you actually have to the market. If you want to get in touch again, those ways to make that happen, FlemingFG.com. Ryan at FlemingFG.com is the email or call or text 843-475-3038. Thanks for being with us, and we'll talk to you next time right back here on the Pilot's Advisor Podcast. Information is for illustrative purposes only and does not constitute tax, investment, or legal advice. Always consult with a qualified investment, legal, or tax professional before taking any action.